Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Paul Kim Explains Everything. Today we are continuing our mini-series on fearsome women in history with Zhang Shi. She was a pirateess, emperor, and pimp. Now, without any further ado, here's the episode. I'm ready, Monica. What are we going to be talking about today? We are going to be talking about the second person in our Fearsome Women series, Zhang Shi, who's also known as the greatest pirate of all time. Whoa. Yeah. What's, what's the quick uh, overview on her? She pirated an area the size of the U.S. and the British Army, the well, the British Navy, Portuguese Navy, and the Qing Dynasty Navy could do nothing about it for about 30 years. Oh, man. I'm and, so excited to hear about it. Yeah, it's it's pretty sick. Uh, for those who haven't heard, we're doing a mini-series on Fearsome Women. The first episode was on Olga of Kiev, and this is continuing on that series. So be excited. We're doing it. Woo! So just like Olga of Kiev, the information surrounding Zhengxi is not all that reliable. But we do know that she existed, and we do know some very important details about her life. Most likely, Zheng Shi was born in 1775 with the birth name, I'm sorry to all the Chinese and Cantonese speakers out there, I'm going to really screw this up, the birth name Shil Sheng Gu, and uh, she was born in Guangdong. Uh, she was a Cantonese prostitute that worked in a small brothel in Guangzhou. Uh, there's a lot of different stories about how this period of her life went down. Some say that she was in a floating brothel, which probably isn't true. But in any case, she was a prostitute. So there was a really famous pirate who was active in the South China Sea around this time, whose name was Zheng Ai. Zheng Yi is also some, was closer to the correct pronunciation, but pronunciation, but uh, I, once again, don't, not really sure. Zheng Yi was part of a really long family uh, that had been pirating since the mid-1600s. So they had been active for over 150 years, roughly. So he had visited Guangzhou and this brothel house on several occasions. So there are two different accounts to how they ended up getting married, Zheng Yi and Zheng Shi. So the first account is that Zheng Yi ordered a raid on the city of Guangzhou and ordered the raid specifically on the brothel and told his pirates, grab my favorite prostitute and bring her back. So that's one account. The second account, which seems to be much more likely, is that the famous pirate Zheng Yi simply asked the prostitute to marry him. And she only agreed under the condition that she would have the sum amount of power within the pirate organization and receive an equal share of his plunder. So he agrees, and they get married sometime around 1800. So in the six years that they were together, when they first got married, the fleet was roughly 200 to 600 ships. And at the end of the six years, the first six years together, it was 17 to 1800 ships. And these were Chinese junk ships, flat-bottomed, firm-sailed ships that were really common in the South China Sea. The fleet was split into five different colors. The lead fleet was the red fleet, then there was the white fleet, blue, yellow, and green. And through a series of political connections and agreements, 
they formed a coalition with the famous Cantonese pirate Wu Xi'er and quickly amassed this very, very large fleet of pirate ships. At this time, their armada was larger than some countries' navies. So they got to do some really crazy stuff. For example, in 1804, they instituted a blockade of the then Portuguese trading port of Macau. So Portugal sends a battle squadron, their actual navy, against the pirate fleet, but are defeated actually in open water by the pirates. So this is when the government started recognizing that these guys are a really serious deal. They're able to take on Western navies at the time and and just dominate them in the region. So Zhang Yi, the husband, the pirate, was heavily involved in the Taesan Rebellion in Vietnam. He joined to help fight in the rebellion in 1802. There's speculation that the reason he did this was because he was part Vietnamese, but most likely it was actually because the Taesan rulers supported the Zhang Yi pirate fleet during this time. So Zhang Yi used the pirate fleet to take part of the rebellion and lost a few ships and a few men along the way. On November 16th, 1807, there is either a typhoon or a major storm or some sort of tsunami in open water and Zhang Yi dies. So there were about 50,000 to 70,000 pirates in the fleet at the time of his death. And like I said, around 1,700 to 1,800 ships. And he operated in an area that spanned Korea to Malaysia, even over to Vietnam. Just for perspective, we're talking about a region of the ocean the size of the U.S. He left a huge power vacuum. So instead of just fading away or going back to the brothel, Zheng Shi, the name actually translates to the widow of Zheng. I'm going to continue to refer to her as Zheng Shi from now on. Zheng Shi decides to fill the power vacuum. And so how she did this, there was a another pirate crew member who was second in command when her husband was still alive by the name of Zhang Bao Sai. He was the son of a fisherman and his village was invaded by pirates at the age of 15 and he was forced to either join the pirates or die. So he joined the pirates. And over a few years, he quickly moves up the ranks and becomes second in command. There are many, many reports that he had sexual relations with both Zhang Yi and Zhang Shi, and strangely enough, was later adopted as the son of Zhang Yi. Zhang Yi being the original pirate captain. After he dies, his now widow, Zhang Shi, marries him and announces him as the effective leader of the fleet. Truth be told, Zheng Shi was really the one at the helm. So they struck up an agreement. This adopted son, Zheng Bao Sai, would lead all of the raids and military escapades, while Zheng Shi would figure out how to politically merge and reconsolidate the now scattered pirate fleets roaming the region. So she was incredibly effective. She ballooned the size of the fleet. She made a spy network in China and Malaysia and all sorts of places. She effectively ended up controlling every criminal escapade in Southeast Asia as we know it today. What she's probably most famous for is how she maintained control and discipline over this massive fleet. So she, on every ship in her fleet, had a series of rules posted up, and they went something like this. Rule number one, anyone giving their own orders, that is to say, ones that didn't come from Zheng Shi, was to be beheaded on the spot. Rule number two, no one steals from the public fund or any villagers that supplied the pirates. Rule number three, all goods taken as booty 
had to be presented for group inspection. The booty was registered by the capturing ship and then distributed by the fleet leader. The original ship that captured received 20% of the booty and the rest was placed into a public fund. Rule number four, actual money was turned over to the squadron leader who only gave a small amount back to the original seizing ship. The rest of the money was to be used to supply ships and unsuccessful ships. So according to Philip Magan, a historian, the punishment for a first-time offense for withholding monetary or material booty was a severe whipping on the back. If large amounts were withheld, you, ha- you were just got your head chopped off. That's just how it went. One of the most interesting things and shocking things, frankly, was the treatment of women by Zhang Xi's fleet at this time. Zhengxi's fleet was later called the Red Flag Fleet. So if you invaded a town, standard practice was you release all the ugly ones. All the pretty ones had two different ways they could go. If you raped a woman, ugly or otherwise, you got your head chopped off, period. If you found an attractive woman, you had to take her as a wife and be faithful to her. If you force yourself on her, you get your head chopped off. If a pirate chose to have consensual relations with a female captive, but didn't marry her. The pirate was beheaded. The woman was tied up and had cannonballs attached to her legs and was chucked off the side of the boat. So this was very, very strict practice towards women in the fleet. Zhang Xi in the Red Flag Fleet also had a very strict code for deserters. So those who left the fleet without official permission had their ears cut off, and then the ears were paraded around the squad. Glasspool, who is another historian, concluded that this code, all these rules that I've stated, quote, gave rise to a force that was intrepid in attack, desperate in defense, and unyielding even when outnumbered. Eventually, through this code, Zhang Xi's fleet grows to 1,800, like I said earlier, 70,000 to 80,000 pirates, and she has a private force of 17,000 pirates directly under her control. Her spy network spread across the Qing Dynasty in China. And, you know, this was a major, the Qing Dynasty was a major, major world power at this time. And across basically all of the other countries in Southeast Asia. It was so massive that she even had to create an ad hoc government to support her pirates. And the government had a series of you know laws and had taxes and uh, levied fines and those kinds of things. Because she was so large, She also controlled basically every criminal element in the South China Sea, basically would extort them. Something along the lines of, if you pay us money, we'll protect you all along the South China Sea. If you don't pay us money, our pirates are basically going to have open season on whatever merchant ships you have. This became a really, really big problem for the British, for the Portuguese, who had really large trading interests in the area, and the Qing Dynasty. So in 1808... The Qing Dynasty decides to intervene. They're sick and tired of Zheng Xi just wrecking their port towns and disrupting trade. So they commission an imperial fleet led by Kuo Lang to sail and attack the Red Flag Fleet. So typically when this happened, especially in the Caribbean, the pirates would just find some cove somewhere and lay low. But Zheng Xi sails out into open water, meets them, and just absolutely decimates the Qing fleet. She then ends up capturing 63 of the ships that were sent to chase after her and told all the captured sailors, two options, you either join me and join my fleet or we nail your feet to the ground and beat you to death with clubs. Needless to say, the pirates and ships that she lost fighting the Qing fleet were quickly replenished with 
you know, these sorts of practices. So the admiral of the Qing fleet that was sent, Kuo Lang, was so humiliated and didn't want to be captured by Zheng Shi that he committed suicide instead. This same sort of thing would happen again after the failed expedition. The Qing dynasty would request help from Portuguese and British governments. They combined their fleets from 1808 to about 1810 and fight many, many battles with the Red Flag Fleet, none of them which are really successful. So in one instance in 1809, they sent suicide boats, these boats loaded with straw and explosives and oil, and launched them at the heart of her fleet. The pirates in the Red Flag Fleet extinguished the flames, repaired the ships, and incorporated them into the fleet. She lost 40 people, but not a single ship during these attacks. The leader of that expedition, who sent the suicide boats, later falsified reports and then committed suicide in shame. So this is how, like, overwhelming the pirate force was. No one could, could deal with them. They were just so huge. They, they were just so powerful. Eventually, the Qing dynasty knew that they needed to get them to stop somehow. So near the end of 1809, they start negotiating with Zheng Shi, trying to provide incentives to get them to disband. But after some discussion, the negotiations break down. It seems that one of the big things that made the negotiations break down was her marriage to Zhang Bao Sai, who was the uh, adopted son slash lover slash now husband of Zhang Shi. The Qing dynasty refused to recognize that, and so she wouldn't agreed to their terms. Well, surprise, surprise, a few months later in 1810, she appears unarmed with 17 literate women and children to the governor general of Canton's office and negotiates a priest treaty. And then she signs it, surprisingly. So the treaty goes like this. The fleet will disband, giving up most of their ships. She had to kneel to the government official, which was the governor general of Canton. She agreed well, the government agreed that the marriage to Zhang Bao would be recognized. All the pirates, except for a select few, would be granted amnesty. They would be allowed to keep any loot that they had acquired and would have the choice to join the military. The government actually didn't allow 376 members of her 1800 crew to be granted amnesty. So for those 376, 126 pirates were executed and 250 received other punishments for their crimes. But everyone else got off scot-free. A bunch of the pirates did end up joining the Qing Dynasty Navy, including Zhang Shi's now new husband, Zhang Bao. He would become commander of 20 ships and would then turn these new 20 ships on members of her, his former fleet. To make the transition easier, the agreement also included a stipulation that the government paid the pirates money so that they could transition into civilian life. And the government declares Zheng Shi lady by imperial decree, elevating her to the level of the aristocracy and providing her all sorts of legal protections and social and civic benefits. So she retires at the age of 35 and then goes back to Guangzhou where she opens a gambling and brothel and she was a pimp basically until her death at 69. So she didn't go out in a blaze of glory. She basically was this ridiculous pirate emperor lord and then was declared a lady by the court and just died as a grandmother. And now it's time for questions with Monica. And here's Monica Ivanchik. Uh, why would she make a deal with her husband? Isn't she indebted to him for marrying her? 
Uh, well, she wasn't married at the time that they met. I don't know the exact reasons. And I don't think the historians know the exact reasons why she agreed. But she made sure that there were, like, conditions involved, you know? But, I mean, as a prostitute, isn't she lucky to get married? I don't know what the quality of life was for prostitutes back in the day. But I imagine that the quality of life for pirates was even worse. You yeah, know? but, I mean, it seems... Yeah, I don't know. I just feel like if, her, if you want to marry a prostitute, she's not exactly in the position to set... Especially if you're the leader of a pirate fleet, to be like, I want half of your power. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why there's, like, two different accounts of how it went down. One of them, like, he just stole... He just stole her from this brothel. And in the second one, like, she negotiates. I like that part of the story. Like, bring me my favorite prostitute. Yeah. <laughs> wonder if she was felt honored by that. Um, you said 200 to 600 ships. How, do you have any idea how big that is compared to other pirate fleets in the day? Oh, massive. Absolutely massive. Most pirate fleets in that day were lucky if they had like 20 ships. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like they were just these marauding bands of ships just in the South China Sea. But at that size, 200 or 600, like they were larger than most like national navies. That's how crazy it was. How did they get so, do you, do you have any idea how the power and politics of a pirate ship that, or a pirate fleet that big works? Yeah. I mean, the code of conduct Mm -hmm. was a big part. I mean, in every every time that you look up anything about Zhengxi, that code of conduct I talked about comes mm-hmm. up every time, just because it it was so strict and so rigid, and it was posted on every ship in the fleet, and uh, decision making on who get the head cut off, like floated up a chain of command. There was lieutenants, there were squadron leaders, there was like, um, like you know, brigade leaders, like stuff like that. You know, it'd be the equivalent of how kind of our modern military works. It was a very clear chain of command. Imagine getting a stack of papers of, like, requests to cut somebody's head off and you sign off. You're like, all right, stamp (laughs) stamp to get head removed. Do you think, uh, especially when it comes to that code of conduct, it sounds a little tyrannical and a little scary. Do you think think if a man had 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 the same code of conduct, it would have been considered differently? No, not at all. I mean, like, uh, there's a really famous book called The Art of War by Sun Tzu. And in that book, he talks about how discipline is everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it begins with the story of, I'm, I'm going to botch this, but the story goes something like this. Sun Tzu goes up to the emperor, and he's trying to prove to the emperor that discipline is everything. So he gets all of the emperor's concubines out into the courtyard, right? Mm-hmm. And he tries to get them to march in a straight line. And they're, like, laughing and having fun, and they won't march. So he orders the soldiers there to take one of them, and he beheads, he beheads one of the concubines. And so then they immediately start marching in a straight line, right? And the emperor goes, I, I don't want any of my concubines cut, have their heads cut off anymore. You know, they're, they're like, I like them. And Sun Tzu is like, but look, sir, look how disciplined they are. They would die for you now in battle. And there's another story in the same book, The Art of War, where he talks about how these two really, really skilled elite dudes in this army sneak out into the enemy ranks and come back with the heads of the general commanders, right? And he orders that those two elite dudes be killed for breaking discipline orders. Because the idea is that if you have a single guy that breaks rank, right, that doesn't follow orders, he puts the whole body at risk. So this kind of behavior was not foreign at all to that region of the world. I mean, even today, in some countries, like capital punishment for insubordination or, you know, incorrect use of power is, like, common. So within the military or within 
violent groups of people, that sort of thing is as not surprising to history, you know? How do you think, do you think there was any controversy about these pirates following a woman leader? Well, yeah, I mean, that's why she had Zhang Bao, like, as, as the actual leader of the fleet. But she was the one, really, that... So he, he led all of the military expeditions, and she was the one who was consolidating all of the pirate fleets together, getting together. Together. I can't speak right now. <laughs> she was the one creating the spy network. She was the one figuring out the criminal elements in the area. She was the one creating up the systems, you know what I mean? So for all intents and purposes, she was the actual leader, but on paper, and the one that was actually leading the battles was Zhang Bao. So I don't... I think this delicate balance was how that couple maintained power over the Red Fleet for so many years. You know what I mean? Mm. It's clever. It's really clever. He was lucky to marry his favorite prostitute that also happened to be like a war wartime general. Well, no, you have to remember there's two different guys here because there's Zhang Yi who married his favorite prostitute. But then after he dies, Zhang Shi marries his adopted son and lover, Zhang Bao. So there's there's two dudes. Oh, so the prostitute married her adopted son? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and her adopted son was also the lover of her dead husband. Whoa. Wait, what do you mean? Yeah, they there's like a lot of accounts that they that they, they had sex. With the husband? Yeah. Whoa, what a love triangle. Yeah. Well, yeah, the adopted son would sleep with his adopted father, and he'd also sleep with his adopted mother. And then when his adopted father died, he married his adopted mother. Yeah, that's... That's a little, a little weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Who am I to judge? Do you know of any other famous pirate fleets? Uh, I mean, there's like Blackbeard's fleet, which is really famous. Mm -hmm. uh, that guy was a boss. I mean, the stories accounting his death, he was shot like 10 times, stabbed like six times. It took like eight men to take him down, you know, near the end. Uh, there was also like, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember who it was. There was this, there's dude in the British Navy who later defected and became a pirate, right? Uh, and then the British Navy took him back, and then he decided, like, being a Navy man was super, super boring, so that he became a pirate again, and then they killed him. So there's a lot of the famous stories about pirates, especially in the Caribbean, where, at least in the American mindset, come from stories of British pirates. So most uh, fictional accounts of pirates or most when I think of pirates I think of you know swashbuckling people looking for treasure I'm assuming that these pirates were more of like a hell's angels group would they hold other ships I mean I don't know maybe not hell's maybe politically they're like hell's angels anyways I want to rephrase that so they're hell's angels of the sea is what you're saying no I mean I'm just I'm just they I'm wondering what they did with their powers did they just hold ports hostage did they make their own trade routes did you know did they start you know start an economy no adventuring ships that went and looked for treasure I, th I think people have a very romantic idea of what pirates were like these guys were jerks like what they would do is that they would just come in late at night into port on a town and then just raid and take stuff and kill people and then run away the one of the things that made Zheng Shi's fleet really really dangerous was that they were junk ships flat-bottomed firm sails, which meant that they could go upriver. A lot of the ships that were operating in the Caribbean had pointed bottoms, right? Because pointed bottoms were more, they, they didn't list when it 
when uh, really large storms happen in the Atlantic, right? Mm-hmm. But we're uh, you're talking about the South China Sea, so these flat bottom boats didn't need to have pointed bottoms. And in, on a couple of occasions, she would row upstream into uh, Qing territory, attacking towns along rivers. I mean, if you're like along the sea, you can expect pirate attacks or a thing. But rowing upstream, up a river, with a pirate fleet to raid towns is ridiculous. And she did it a bunch of times. And actually, in one instance that I, I, I found, these two towns got sick and tired of her. So they colluded together and got every able-bodied man to and ro- ro- like raise an army. And they decided to like declare war on this pirate fleet. And the pirate fleet just absolutely decimated them. Like just mopped the floor with them. And then she went to the town, cut the heads off of every man in the town, took all the women, left the ugly ones, and then like just raised the town. You know, this happened a bunch of times. So like it wasn't that they were looking for treasure. They're the ones who just took stuff and then would just like redistribute it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the 20% stays with the boat, 80% goes to the fleet kind of thing. In the Caribbean, I mean, there are a couple of instances where people actually like stashed booty that they stole mm-hmm. from these raids. But I also know that in at least one case, pirates would attack government outposts for political reasons as well, like inst- destabilizing uh, government control over the natives and stuff, right? But, I mean, for all intents and purposes, pirates are jerks. Like, <laughs> yeah, they were not cool people. What what ocean did she operate in mostly? So the South China Sea, uh, I mean, you're all talking about, like, so this is the tough part because... <laughs> The names of these oceans are contested. The Sea of Japan was a place that they operated in, like the southern part of it. But Koreans call it the Sea of Korea. So, like, yeah, but you know what I'm talking about, right? They basically operated from Korea all the way to Vietnam. It's, it's about 3,000-something 3, 3, miles. It's, it's a huge swath of, of the world. Did they ever go around to European waters? No, no. There's, I didn't find any reports of them going all around, away around the Horn of Africa and like, yeah. <laughs> On their junk ships. Yeah. I wanted to really qu- quickly pose a question to you too. She, so she started off as a prostitute. She became in cahoots with these CD characters. Uh, do you think she was an overall good person? No, 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 I don't. No, there's no, I mean, she's like a gang lord. I mean, I, I think in... In modern day terms, you have to think of her as kind of like a the head of a cartel, like a drug cartel, because like kidnapping, extortion, laundering, uh, murder, like those are all common things that her fleet did. That's how they operated. These were effectively thieves on the water. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then like, I mean, she was really clever. I, I I will give her that. Being able to defeat major world powers. They're being able to defeat their navies consistently, escaping capture for two years and a concerted effort of three world governments coming together, winning battles, reclaiming ships sent to attack her, causing enemy commanders to commit suicide. You're, you're not a dummy and like pull that off, you know what I mean? And also like negotiating a quiet, sedentary life afterwards is also really crazy. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think she was a good person. But she was really smart and incredibly fearsome and powerful, which is why we're talking about her, right? Do you think she created any benefits to either her pirate fleet or to the women that they stole or 
to anything? Yeah, I mean, one of the benefits has to be like better treatment of women by pirates and during that time. I mean, especially for the ugly ones, I guess. <laughs> but back in those days, rape was a very, very common thing. So, I mean, rape's still kind of a common thing now. But for people who found themselves in the misfortune of being in the way of a pirate, her code of conduct definitely made situations more favorable for certain people. Especially for, like, I mean, even the town thing. Like, one of the rules is you can't attack or steal from a town that supplies the pirate fleet. It used to be that, you know, if you're a pirate supplying town, you don't want any problems. They could still steal from you and then demand a tribute later. Uh, which is kind of what happened when we were talking about Olga of Kiev earlier. When the prince went to, Prince Oleg went to uh, get tribute from the Derevelians again. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. You know, you could just keep coming back and like, you could do about it. Stop punching yourself kind of situation, right? We've only done two of these fearsome women in history. But there seems to be a common thread of just um, power and violence and being incredibly ruthless. Um, why do you think why do you think that is? Well, there's two things. One, I don't think women are less capable than men of doing terrible things. I think that's just true of like humanity in general. Two, during this period of time, women were in a lot of cultures just considered cattle. You know, they were only good for, like, making babies. It's true. (laughs) Yeah. For a lot of human history, women were basically just, like, cattle or spoils of war. So for them to get the recognition and respect and especially the power that they crave, they had to really assert that you better not mess with me. I will nail your feet to the floor and beat you with sticks till you die. You're going you're gonna to follow somebody that, that threatens you very seriously with something like that. Do you have an idea of who our next fearsome woman will be? Not, not yet. We've done Olga of Kiev, who's from Russia, and now Jiangxi, who's from China. So I'm trying to find someone from another part of the world, and I think that will conclude our fearsome women. But there's no short supply. I found some... I have a list of possible candidates. There's a couple from American history... Um, there's one from Mongol history. So what was she? Like? She was one of the daughters of Genghis Khan, and she led the Khans for a little bit. And she was definitely the daughter of Genghis <laughs> Khan. Uh, for those of you who listen to hardcore history, he goes through the wrath of the Khans, and the Khans did some crazy stuff. And she definitely continued that kind of tradition. So I'm still looking. I'm trying to pick someone from the Western Hemisphere, because we've already done two from the Eastern. So not sure yet, but keep posted. I also vote that we do a, an episode about just short snippets of of other fearsome women in, in history. Sure. Just like five of them per episode. That'd be good. We could do a shotgun. Yeah, it totally be a thing. That. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, thanks, UK. Is there anything you want to leave with our listeners? Anything you want them to consider about this fearsome woman? Yeah, consider that she didn't die violently. A lot of figures in history, when they do illicit activities or piss off the wrong people of power, they die either at the gallows or at the hands of a torturer or an executioner. Zheng Shi died as a grandmother, and she was mother to many children. I think that alone makes her remarkable, considering the number of people that she angered, stole from, extorted. I think that alone makes her an incredible figure that she just pulled that off and that she was able to betray effectively her fleet. In agreeing to this treaty, 
she provided amnesty for a lot of her fleet. But there were a, a few members, well, there were considerable members of her, you know, huge 80,000 member fleet that disagreed with her and tried to kill her and didn't. You know, she died of old age. That's crazy. Yeah, I guess I didn't really consider that. Yeah. That's nuts. Well, she died as a pimp. So she, she died as a pimp. She died doing what she loved. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> um, all right, PK. Um, thanks so much. Thanks, Monica. Um, as always, I want to leave with our listeners. Feel free to email in or tweet. And stay tuned for our next mini episode on fearsome women in history. Heck yeah. Sweet. Thanks, PK. See ya. <laughs>